From coast to coast and worldwide on the internet via satellite, this is Luke 418 Radio Network. To Luke 418 Radio Talk Show, the leading cutting edge of Christian radio. Exposing the works of darkness and declaring a life of righteousness. Your host, Pastor Bill and Valerie French. Welcome, listeners all around the world, to Luke 418 Radio. This is your host, Pastor Valerie French. On the front lines, I am in the trenches against the enemy, fighting for your souls. The warfare is intense. But we have the victory in Christ Jesus. God bless everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I will continue a special presentation of a beautiful book, which I am reciting called My Dream of Heaven by Rebecca Springer. Chapter 11 After we left my parents and friends on our return from our welcome to my sister, my brother hastened away upon some mission and I walked on alone toward the sacred lake. I felt the need of a rest in its soothing waters after the exciting scenes through which I had passed. I had hitherto visited the lake in the early morning hours. It was now something past noontide of the heavenly day, and but few persons lingered on the shore. The boats that sped across its calm surface seemed to be filled rather with those intent upon some duty than simply pleasure-seekers. I walked slowly down unto the water and soon found myself floating, as at former times, in mid-current. The wonderful prismatic rays in the early morning were such a marvel now blended into a golden glory with different shades of rose and purple, flashing artward their splendor. To me, it seemed even more beautiful than the rainbow tints, just as the mature joys of our earthly life cast into shadow, somewhat, the more evanescent pleasures of youth. I could but wonder what its evening glories would be, and resolved to come at some glowing twilight to see if they would not remind me of the calm hours of life's closing day. I heard the chimes from the silver bell of the great city ringing, an anthem as I lay, and its notes seemed to chant clearly, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The waters took up the song, and a thousand waves about me responded, Holy, holy, holy. The notes seemed to vibrate, if I may use the expression upon the waves, producing a wonderfully harmonious effect. The front row in the battalion of advancing waves softly chanted, Holy, as they passed on onward. Immediately, the second roll of waves took up the word that the first seemed to have dropped as it echoed in the second Holy. In the divine chorus, Then it, too, passed onward to take up the second note as the third advanced column caught the first, and so it passed and echoed from wave to wave until it seemed millions of tiny waves about me had taken up and were bearing their part in this grand crescendo. This wonderful anthem. Language fails me. I cannot hope to convey to others this experience as it came to me. 
It was grand, wonderful, overpowering. I lay and listened until my whole being was filled with the divine melody, and it seemed to be part of the great chorus. Then I, too, lifted up my voice and joined with full heart in the thrilling song of praise. I found that contrary to my usual custom, I floated rapidly away from the shore whence I had entered the water, and after a time was conscious that I was approaching a portion of the lake shore I had never visited. Refreshed and invigorated, I ascended the slope's banks to find myself in the midst of a lovely suburban village similar to the one where our own home was situated. There was some difference in the architecture or construction of the houses, though they were no less beautiful than others I had seen. Many were constructed of polished woods and somewhat resembled the finest of our chalets, one season Switzerland, though far surpassing them all that gives pleasure to the artistic eye. As I wandered on, feasting my eyes upon the lovely views about me, I was particularly pleased by the appearance of an unusually attractive house. Its broad verandas almost overhung the waters of the lake. The wide, low steps running on one side of the house quite to the water's edge. Several graceful swans were leisurely drifting about with the current, and a bird, similar to our southern mockingbird, but with softer voice, was singing and swinging in the low branches overhead. There were many larger and more imposing villas near, but none possessed me the charm of this sweet home. Beneath one of the large flowering trees, close by this cottage home, I saw a woman sitting, weaving with her delicate hands, apparently without shuttle or needle. A snow-white gossamer, like fabric that fell in a soft, fleecy heap at her side as the work progressed. She was so very small in stature that at first glance I supposed that she was a child, but a closer scrutiny showed her to be a mature woman, though with the glow of youth still upon her smooth cheek, something familiar in her gestures rather than her appearance caused me to feel that it was not the first time we had met and growing accustomed now to the delightful surprises that meet me everywhere in this world of rare delights. I drew near to accost her when, before I could speak, she looked up and the doubt was gone. Maggie, Miss Sprague, dear, we cried simultaneously and dropped her work from her hand. She stepped quickly to greet me. Our greeting was warm and fervent, and her sweet face glowed with a welcome that reminded me of the happy days when we had met in the years long gone, by the shore of that other beautiful lake in the world of our earth life. I now know why I came this way today, to find you, dear. I said as we sat side by side, talking as we never had talked on earth, for the sweet shyness of her mortal life had melted away in the balmy air of heaven. What is this lovely fabric you are weaving? I presentedly asked lifting the silken fleecy web in my fingers as I spoke. Some draperies for Nellie's room, she said. You know we two have lived alone together so much. I thought it would be even more like home to her, to us both, if we did the same here. So this cottage is our own special home, just a step from Maria's, pointing to an imposing house a few yards distant, and I am fitting it up as daintily as I can, especially her room. Oh, let me help you, Maggie, dear, I said. It would sh be sure a pleasure to me. 
She hesitated an instant with something of the old-time shyness, then said, That is like you, dear Miss Sprague. I have set my heart on doing Nellie's room entirely myself. There is no hurry about it. You know, but if you really would enjoy it, I should love to have you help me in the other rooms. And will you teach me how to weave this delicate hangings? Yes, indeed, I shall give you your first lesson now. Lifting the dainty thread, she showed me how to toss and wind it through my fingers till it fell away in shining folds. It was very light and fascinating work, and I soon was weaving it almost rapidly as she did. Now I can help Carol, was my happy thought, as I saw the shimmering fabric grow beneath my hands. Tomorrow I will go and show him how beautifully we can drape the doors and windows. So in heaven, our first thought ever is to give pleasure to others. You are an apt scholar, said Maggie, laughing happily. And what a charming hour you have given me. What a charming hour you have given me, my dear, I answered. When we parted, it was with the understanding that every little while I was to repeat the visit. When I urged her likewise to come to me, the old-time shyness again appeared, and she said, Oh, they are all strangers to me, and here we shall be entirely alone. You come to me. So I yielded. As in heaven we never ask to gain reluctant consent for any pleasure, however dear, and many were the happy hours spent with her in the cottage by the lake. Chapter 12 On one of my walks about this time, I chanced upon a scene that brought my mind to what May had said to me about the Savior's love for little children. I found him sitting beneath one of the flowering trees upon the lake shore, with about a dozen children of all ages clustering around him. One dainty little tot, not more than a year old, was nestled in his arms, with her sunny head resting confidently upon his bosom, her tiny hands filled with the lovely water lilies that floated everywhere on the waters. She was too young to realize how great her privilege was, but seemed to be enjoying his care to the utmost. The other sat at his feet, or leaned upon his knees, and one dear little fellow, with earnest eyes, stood by him leaning upon his shoulder, while the master's right arm encircled him. Every eye was fixed eagerly upon Jesus, and each child appeared alert to catch every word he said. He seemed to be telling them some very absorbing story adapted to their childish tastes and capacities. I sat down upon the sward among a group of people, a little removed from the children, and tried to hear what he was saying, but we were too far away to catch more than a sentence now and then. And in heaven one never intrudes upon another's privileges or pleasures. So we simply enjoyed the smiles and eager questions and examinations of the children and gathered a little of the tenure of the story from the disjointed sentences which floated to us. A little child lost in the dark woods of the lower world. We heard the master say, in response to the inquiring looks of the interested children, lions and bears came later on. Where was his papa? asked the anxious voice. We could not hear the reply, but soon a little fellow leaning upon the Savior's knee said confidently, no lions and no bears up here. No, he replied, nothing to harm or frighten my little children here. Then the story deepened and grew in interest, and the children pressed more closely about the master. He turned with a sweet smile, and we could see an increased pressure 
of the encircling arm to the little fellow with the earnest eyes who leaned upon his shoulder and said, What, Leslie, would you have done then? With a bright light in his eyes and a flush on his fair cheek, the child answered quickly and emphatically, I should have prayed to thee and asked thee to close his lion's mouth, as thou didst for Daniel, and thou wouldst have done it. I thought, could C and H see the look the beloved master cast upon their boy as he made his brave reply, they would be comforted even for the absence of their darling. Lost in the thoughts, I heard no more that passed until an eccentric shout from the little folks proclaimed how satisfactorily the story had ended. And looking up, I saw the Savior passing onward with a baby still in his arms and the children trooping about him. Of such is the kingdom of heaven, how well he understood, how much he loved them. I too arose and started homeward. I had not gone far before I met my brother Frank, who greeted me with, I am on my way to the city by the lakes. Will you accompany me? It has long been my wish to visit the city. I only waited until you thought it was wise for me to go, I answered. You are growing so fast in the knowledge of the heavenly ways, he said, that I think I might venture to take you almost anywhere with me now. You acquire the knowledge for the very love of it, not because you feel it is your duty to know what you would have to learn. Your eagerness to gather to yourself all truth, and at the same time your patient submission in waiting, oft times when I know the trial is great, have won for you much praise and love from our dear Master, who watches eagerly the progress of all of us in this divine life. I think it only right that you should know of this. We need encouragement here as well as in the earth life, though it is in a different way. I tell you this by divine permission. I think it will not be long before he trusts you with a mission. But this I say of myself, not by his command. It would be impossible for me to convey in the language of the earth the impression these words of commendation left upon me. They were so unexpected, so unforeseen. I had gone on, as my brother said, eagerly gathering the knowledge imparted to me with a genuine love for the study of all things pertaining to the blessed life, without a thought that in any way deserved commendation for so doing. And now I had won the appropriation of the Master himself, and the happiness seemed almost more than I had strength to bear. My brother, my dear brother, was all I could say in my deep joy, stopping suddenly and looking up into his face with grateful tears. I am so glad for you, little sister, he said, warmly clasping my hand. There are, you see, rewards in heaven. It does my soul good that you have unconsciously won one of these so soon. I would I might record in detail the precious words of wisdom that fell from his lips. I would that I might recount minutely the events of that wonderful life as it was unfolded to me day by day, but I can only say I may not. When I undertook to make a record of that never-to-be-forgotten time, I did not realize how many serious difficulties I would have to encounter, how often I would have to pause and consider if I might really reveal this truth or paint the scene as it appeared to me. The very heart has often been left out of some wonderful scene I was attempting to describe because I found I dared not reveal its sacred secret. 
I realize painfully that the narrative I am forced to give falls infinitely short of what I hoped to make it when I began. But bear with me, it is no fancy sketch I am drawing, but the veritable life beyond, as it appeared to me when the exalted spirit rose triumphant over the impoverished flesh, made savagely subservient through suffering. My brother and I walked slowly back to the margin of the lake where we stepped into a boat lying near the shore, and were at once transported to a farther shore of the lake and landed upon a marble terrace, the entrance of the city by the lake. I never knew by what power these boats were propelled. There were no oarsmen, no engine, no sails, upon the one in which we crossed the water, but it moved steadily onward till we were safely landed at our destination. Luxuriously cushioned seats were all around it, and upon one of them lay a musical instrument, something like a violin, although it had no bow. It seemed to be played by the fingers alone. Upon another seat lay a book. I picked it up and opened it. It seemed to be a continuation of that book that has stirred and thrilled millions of hearts in the mortal life, the greatest thing in the world. As I glanced through it while we journeyed, I grasped the truth that this great mind already had grappled with the mighty things of eternity and given food to immortals, even as he had it to those in mortal life in the years gone by. I was roused from my thoughts by the boat touching the marble terrace and found my brother already standing waiting to assist me to the shore. Passing up a slight acclivity, we found ourselves in a broad street that led into the heart of the city. The streets I found were all very broad and smooth and paved with marble and precious stones of every kind, though they were thronged with people intent on various duties, not an atom of debris or even dust was visible anywhere. There seemed to be vast business houses of many kinds, though I saw nothing resembling our large mercantile establishments. There were many colleges and schools and book and music stores and publishing houses several large manufactories where I learned where spun the fine silken threads of the manifold colors which were so exclusively used in the weaving of the draperies I have already mentioned. There were art rooms, picture galleries, and libraries, and many lecture halls and vast auditoriums, but I saw no churches of any kind. At first this somewhat confused me until I remembered that there are no creeds in heaven but that all worship together in harmony and love, the children of one and the same loving Father. Ah, I thought, what a pity that that in fact, if no other in the great economy of heaven could not be proclaimed to the inhabitants of the earth, how it would be done away with in petty contentions, jealousies and rivalries of the church militant. No creeds in heaven, no controversed points of doctrine no charges of heresy brought by one professed Christian against another, no building up of denomination upon the ruins of or downfall of a different sect, but one great universal brotherhood whose head is Christ and whose cornerstone is love. I thought of the day we had listened in the great auditorium at home to a, the divine address of our beloved Master of the bowed heads and uplifted voices of the vast multitude and every voice joined in the glorious anthem. Crown him Lord of all, 
and I could have wept to think of the faces that must someday be bowed in shame when they remember how often they had, they have in mortal life said to a brother Christian, Stand aside, I am holier than thou. We found no dwelling houses anywhere in the midst of the city until we came to the suburbs. Here they stood in great magnificence and splendor, but one pleasing fact was that every home had its large dooryard, full of trees and flowers and pleasant walks. Indeed, it was everywhere. Outside of the business center of the town, like one vast park dotted with lovely houses, there was much that charmed, much that surprised me in this great city, of which I may not fully speak, but which I may never forget. We found in one place a very large park with walks and drives and fountains and miniature lakes and shaded seats, but no dwellings or buildings of any kind except an immense circular open temple capable of seating many hundred, and where my brother told me a seraph choir assembled at a certain hour daily and rendered the orientatious written by the great musical composers of earth and heaven. It had just departed, and the crowd who had enjoyed its divine music yet lingered as though loath to leave a spot so hallowed. We will remember the hour, my brother said, and come again when we can hear them. Chapter 8 Still passing through the park, we came out upon the open country and walked some distance through flowery meadows and undulating plains. At length we entered a vast forest whose great trees towered above us like swaying giants. The day was well nigh spent, the day so full of joy and glad surprises and happy hours. Full as it had been, I felt there was still something left for me. Deep hidden in the twilight valley of the day, something that held my soul in awe as the last moments preceding the Holy Sacrament. My brother walked by me, absorbed in silent thought, but with a touch beyond even his usual gentleness. I did not ask where we were going at that unusual hour, so far from home, for fear and doubt and questionings no longer vexed the quiet of my soul. Although the forest was dense, the golden glow of the twilight rested beneath the trees and sifted down through the quivering branches overhead, as though falling through the windows of some grand cathedral. At length we emerged from the forest upon a vast plain that stretched out into illimitable space before us, and far away we faintly heard the thunder of the breaking of waves, an immortal sea of which I had heard so much but had not yet seen. But for their faint and distant reverberation, the silence about us was intense. We stood a moment upon the verge of the forest, then we advanced a few steps into the plain. I became aware that immediately to our right the ground rose into quite an elevation, and as I turned, a sight broke upon my bewildered eyes that the eternal years of earth and heaven can never efface. Upon the summit of this gentle slope a temple stood, whose vast dome, massive pillars, and solid walls were of the unsurreled pearl, and through whose great mullined windows shone a white radiance that shallowed up the golden glow of the twilight and made it its own. I did not cry aloud nor hide my face as in the former revelations, but I sank slowly to my knees and crossed my hands upon my breast. With uplifted face, stilled heart, and silent lips, laid my whole being in worship at his feet. 
who sitteth upon the throne. How long I knelt thus, I know not. Even immortal life seemed lost before the greatness of celestial mysteries. At length my brother, who had been silently kneeling beside me, arose and lifted me to my feet, whispered gently, Come. I felt rather than saw that his face was colorless with the depth of his emotion, and I yielded to his guidance in silence. A long flight of low, broad steps in graduations rose from almost where I stood to the very door of the temple. They, too, were a solid pearl, bordered on either side by channels paved with golden stones, through which coursed crystal waters that met and mingled into one stream far out into the plain. Ascending the steps, we entered the temple, and for a moment stood in silence. I do not know how it was, but in that brief instant I may have been longer than I knew, Every detail of that wonderful interior was fastened upon my memory, as a scene is photographed upon an artist's plate. Heretofore, I had taken repeated visits to the room to enable me to describe it correctly in detail. But thus, in a lightning flash, was stamped upon the table of my memory, indebtedly for all time, nay, for eternity. The immense dome at that moment filled with a luminous cloud, was upheld by three rows of massive pillars of gold. The walls and floors were of pearl, and also the great platform that filled at least one-third of the temple upon the eastern side. There were no seats of any kind. The great golden pillars stood like rows of sentinels upon the shining floor. A railing of gold ran entirely around the platform upon the three sides so that it was inaccessible from the body of the temple. Beneath the railing, upon the temple floor, a kneeling step passed around the platform, also of pearl. In the center of the platform, as immense altar of gold arose, supported by seraphs of gold, with outspread wings, one at each corner and underneath it, in a great pearl basin, a fountain of sparkling water played and I knew intuitively it was the source of the magical river that flowed through the gardens of heaven and bore from us the last stains of death and sin. Nothing living beside ourselves was within the temple except two persons who knelt with bowed heads beside the altar rail upon the farther sides, but by the altar stood four angels, one upon either side, dressed in flowing garments of white with long slim trumpets of gold, uplifted in their hands, as though waiting in expectancy to signal for the trumpet call. Long draperies for silvery gossamer hung in heavy folds back to the altar platform. Suddenly, in the moment that we looked, we saw the draperies tremble and glow until a radiance far beyond the splendor of the sun at midday shone through them, and the whole temple was filled with the glory of the Lord. We saw in the midst of the luminous cloud that filled the dome the forms of the angelic harpers, and as were dropped with bowed heads beside the altar rail and hid our faces from the brightness of his coming, we heard the trumpet call of the four angels about the altar and the voices of the celestial harpers as they sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in heaven and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen. The voices swiftly died away, 
the last notes of the golden trumpets had sounded, and there was silence in heaven. We knew that the visible glory of the Lord was for the present, withdrawn from the temple which is his throne. Still we knelt with bowed heads in silent worship before him. When at last we arose, I did not lift my eyes while within the temple. I desired to remain upon my memory as it appeared when filled with his glory. We walked some time in silence, and I leaned upon my brother's arm, for I yet trembled with emotion. I was surprised that we did not return into the forest, but went still further out upon the plain. But when I saw that, we approached the confluence of the two streams which issued from the fountain beneath the altar. I began to understand that we could return by way of the river instead of by the forest and lake. We reached the stream at length and stepped into a boat that lay by the shore. We were soon floating with the current toward home. We passed through much beautiful scenery on our course that I had not seen before and which I resolved I would visit in the future when leisure from my daily duties would permit. Lovely villas surrounded by beautiful grounds stretching directly up from the water's edge lay on both sides of the river and formed a panorama upon which the eyes never tired of resting. Toward the end of the journey we passed my sister's lovely home, and we could plainly see her and her husband drinking in the scene with enraptured eyes from the window of her own room. My brother and I were both silent the greater part of the time during our journey homeward, though each noted with observant eyes the signs of the happy domestic life by which we were surrounded on every side. The verandas and steps of the homes were passed were full of their happy inmates. Glad voices could be consistently heard, and merry shouts of laughter came from the throngs of little children playing everywhere upon their flowery lawns. Once I broke our silence by saying to my brother, I have been more than once delightfully surprised to hear the familiar song of earth reproduced in heaven, but never more so than I was today. That hymn has long been a favorite of mine. These happy surprises do not come by chance, he answered. One of the delights is this rare life is that no occasion is ever overlooked for reproducing here the pure enjoyments of our mortal life. It is the Father's pleasure to make us realize that the existence is but a continuance of the former life, only without its imperfections and its cares. Frank, I believe you are the only one of our friends here who have ever questioned me about the dear ones left behind. Why is it? He smiled a particularly happy smile as he answered. Perhaps it is because I already know more than you even could tell me. I wondered if it were not so, I said, for I remembered well how my dear father had said in speaking of my brother upon the first day of my coming. He stands very near to the master, and I know how often he was sent upon missions to the world below. I lay down upon my couch on our return with a heart overflowing with joy and gratitude and love beyond the power of expression, and it seemed to me the tenderness in the divine eyes that looking down upon me from the wall was deeper, purer, holier than I had ever seen it before. I will reach the standard of perfection you have set for me, my Savior. I faltered with clasped hands, uplifted to him. If it takes me all my life in heaven and all the help from all the angels of the light to accomplish it, 
and with those words upon my lips and his tender eyes resting upon me, I sank in the blissful response of heaven. Chapter 14 So much occurred, and so rapidly from the, from the very hour of my entrance within the beautiful gates, that it is impossible for me to transcribe it all. I have been able only to cull here and there incidents that happened day by day, and in so doing many things I would gladly have related have unconsciously been omitted. Of the many dear friends I met, only a very few have been mentioned. For the reason that, of necessity, such meetings are so similar in many respects that the constant repetition in detail would become wearisome. I have aimed principally to give such incidents that would show the beautiful domestic life in the happy world, to make apparent the reverence of love of all hearts feel toward the blessed Trinity for every good and perfect gift, and to show forth the marvelous power of the Christ, love even in the life beyond the grave. This world, strange and new to me, held multitudes of those I had loved in the years gone by, and there was scarcely an hour that did not renew for me the ties that once were severed in the mortal life. I remember that as I was walking one day in the neighborhood of Miss Wickham's house, shortly after my first memorable visit there, I was attracted by an unpretentious but very beautiful house, almost hidden by luxuriant climbing rose vines, whose flowers of creamy whiteness were beyond compare with any roses I had yet seen in earth or in heaven. Meeting Mrs. Wick and I had pointed to the house and asked, Who lives there? Suppose you go over there and see, she said. Is it anyone I know, I asked. I fancy so. See, someone is even now at the door as though expecting you. I crossed over the snowy walk and flowery turf, for the house stood in an angle formed by two paths crossing, almost opposite Miss Wickham's and before I could ascend the steps, I found myself in the embrace of two loving arms. Bertha Sprague, I was sure it was you when I saw you go to Miss Wickham a day or two ago. Did not she tell you that I was here? She had no opportunity until today, I said. But dear Aunt Anne, I should have found you soon. I am sure you know that. Yes, I am sure you would. Then I recounted to her something of my visit to Miss Wickham's that eventful day. She listened with her dear face full of sympathy, then said, There, dear, you need not tell me. Do I not know? When the Master comes to gladden my eyes, I have no thought or care for anything beyond, for days and days. Oh, the joy and the peace of knowing I am safe in the blessed heaven. How far beyond all of our earthly dreams in this divine life. She sat for a moment lost in thought, then said wistfully, Now tell me of my children, are they coming? I gladdened her heart with all the cheering news. I could bring her loved ones, and so we talked the hours away, recalling many sweet memories of the earth life, of friends and home and family ties, and looking forward to the future coming to us of those whose even the joys of heaven could not banish from our hearts. Then also another evening, as the soft twilight fell and many of our dear home circle were gathered with us in the great flower room, we heard a step upon the veranda, and as my brother went to the open door, a gentle voice said, Is Miss Sprague really here? She is really here. Come and see for yourself. And sweet Mary Green entered the room. 
I am so glad to welcome you home, she said, coming to me with extended hands and looking into mine with her tender, earnest eyes. My precious girl, I cried, taking her into my heart in a warm embrace. I had been asking about you and longing to see you. I could scarcely wait to reach here when I heard that you had come. Now tell me everything, everything, she said, and I drew her to a seat close beside me. But questions asked and the answers given are too sacred for rehearsal here. Every individual member of her dear home circle was discussed, and many were the incidents she recounted to me that had occurred in her presence when her mother and I were together in talking of the dear child we considered far too removed from our presence. I was often so close that I could have touched you with my hand, had the needed power been given, she said. After a long, close converse had been held between us, I took her to the library, whether the rest had gone to examine a new book just that day received. I introduced her to them all as the daughter of a dear friend still on earth, confident of the welcome she would receive. My youngest sister and she at once became interested in each other, finding congeniality in many of their daily pursuits, and I was glad to believe they would henceforth see much of each other in many different ways. There was no measurement of time as we measure it here. Although many still spoke in the old-time language of months and days and years, I have no way of describing it as it seemed to me then. There were periods of all allotted times, there were hours for happy duties, hours for joyful pleasures, and hours for holy praise. I only know it as all harmony, all joy, all peace, at all times, and in all conditions. That concludes this session of My Dream of Heaven. I pray that you have enjoyed this as just as much as I have, and I pray that we will be able to finish the book, My Dream of Heaven, in our next session. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you, and have a wonderful week. Amen.